I just had to make a comment about our um, matching leather pants. <laughs> At Peplum. And Peplum tops. And, and Peplum. This is called, yeah. this is called peplum. a Peplum. peplum. We've learned that. It, it hides any bloating. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we like them. So anyway, we did not call each other. No, we didn't. Or text. But anyway, love you, girl. But we saw each other and we were like, oh my gosh. But I think hers might be leather. Mine are pleather. So uh, I'm going to show a picture of my family. First, I want to say I'm so excited to be here. You can sit down. I, I do make you stand up and down, up and down, so you'll get exercise. This is my family. Okay. I have predominantly males at home, as you can see. I have Austin Michael. He is my 24-year-old son. He is amazing. He graduated summa cum laude last year, double major, international business and marketing. But John and I are not as smart as him, but we're not stupid, so we hired him. And so he works with us. Austin is 24, and Austin is single. Why I brought females to help me this weekend, I have no idea. Next to him is my third son, Alec. Alec is 22. If any of you have been part of my journey of life, I talked about Alec. I grew up apologizing to teachers for Alec. He was my nightmare student. He was actually in special education. And I remember every single day, Alec went to school and felt like a failure. And every single night, John and I worked really hard to make him feel like a success. And so we started saying things that didn't make sense. Things like, Alexander, we love the way you think. The other brothers were like, he doesn't think. That is why he has D's and F's. And we'd be like, no, no, no. He, he thinks. He just, he just thinks different. And funny thing, Alec was the youngest hire ever in the state of Colorado by Apple Computer. He went from a specialist to an expert to a genius to an acting manager before he was 20. And we all know Apple's theme is think different. So be very careful what you send into the future of your children because it will meet them there. Alec just started his sophomore year at college. He is on the dean's list all last year, which is a shock. So anyway, Alec is also single, by the way. Then there is me and my husband who is not single. We have been married for 31 years. Wednesday, Wednesday, October 2nd. 31 years, awesome. He likes me to say that he gets cuter every year and sexier. And you'll just understand if you have a husband in their 50s, you have to reaffirm that. And standing next to him, also in pleather, is my daughter-in-law, Juliana, and she's a rock star. I'm so thankful for her in my life. Because I have all these males, I am now growing chin hairs. And because I am over 50, I can feel them but I can no longer see them. And so Juliana helps me with my grooming, and she is amazing. She gave birth to my granddaughter, Sophia, standing up. She's like, oh, I just had a baby. I did not do that. We do share a little bit of a common heritage. Juliana and I are both one-eighth Apache Indian. And she is married to my firstborn son, Addison, who is all the good and none of the bad 
in John and I. I knew to pray that with my first one. He is awesome. And then that really tall one, that is my baby. That is Arden Christopher. He is six foot three. I don't even know how that happened with our genetics. But I have to be honest with you, I've only felt safe in my own home for the last two months because Arden is gone. Arden is doing an internship and you need to understand why I would be feeling at risk when Arden was at home. Arden's favorite thing to do to John and I was to pick us up, throw us over his shoulder, go running through the house and then throw us on our beds. We, we explained to him, you should not throw people in their 50s. But, but he is so excited about being the largest biggest brother, and he is holding my grandson, Asher, which I think Hannah is going to put a picture up of him a little closer. There is Asher. Asher is all sweetness. He is amazing. He turned four this Tuesday. I can't even believe that. So that is my four-year-old grandson, and I'm his favorite. I just need to be really clear about this. I know John has been here before me, and I know that he's lied, and I know he has told you that he's the favorite, but it's completely untrue. I am the favorite. And I should be the favorite because when Asher comes to my house, I sing for him, I dance for him, I get down on the floor and play with him, I whip my hair back and forth for him. Anything Asher wants from G-Mama, you know the babies, they like that. Anything that Asher wants from G-Mama, Asher gets from G-Mama. And John has told me to stop whipping my hair around because he says I'm training Asher to like dangerous women. But the truth is... I am a dangerous woman. That is mine. That is not John's. And I'm just kind of feeling like we need some ninja riding grandmothers if we are going to change the world. And I need to show you Soph up close. There is Sophia. Now, I have to be honest with you. That is the first female born to my family in more than 50 years. And I was the last one. We were so excited. We thought this little butterfly, this little wisp of air was coming into our world with kisses. Well, she does kiss a lot, but I have to be honest with you. She has been known to reduce her brother to tears. She is fiercer than any of my boys put together. I love Sophia, but she is not a butterfly. She is definitely intense. Sophia Grace. So that is my granddaughter. And great news, third one is on its way. So super excited about that. And I show you all these pictures for one reason. I learned a long time ago that how you see me is how you'll hear me. And I need you to hear me tonight as Becca's friend, as somebody who believes in Pastor Rob and Becca, who believes in the mandate of God in your life, but I need you to hear me as a sister and a mother and a grandmother and a wife. And the truth is, Grandmothers are the most amazing people on the face of the earth. Who would you rather go shopping with? Your mother or your grandmother? Come on, you know you'd rather shop with your grandmother. We can't see the prices. And so we are way more generous. So anyway, tonight I'm going to open up some scriptures and I'm hoping to paint a different picture for you because I believe that we are walking the earth in the most magnificent of days. I believe that you are here by divine decree. I believe that you are called to light the world. I believe there is something inside of you that God wants to stir and awaken tonight. I believe there is a God-breathed gift in you 
that is going to get expression and get kind of a, a, a push into the open this weekend. So if you came here and you just planned on sitting, we're, have you strategically placed in this building because God has need of you. And so I believe that you're going to have eyes open to see what heaven is doing, ears open to hear what heaven is saying, a mouth unafraid to declare, a heart enlarged to believe. I believe that you are here tonight because God wants to awaken something that is yet dormant in your life. I'm going to open up with this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Matthew Arnold, British poet and poet. I'm sorry, made that word up. British poet and philosopher in the 1800s. This is what he said. He said, if ever there comes a time when the women of the world come together purely and simply for the benefit of mankind, it will be a force such as the world has never seen. Let me tell you something. The feminists came together, but they did not come together for the benefit of mankind. They came together only for the benefit of women. And God will not bless what does not benefit all. But I believe something strategic might happen when the Viking women come together purely and simply for the benefit of mankind. See, I truly believe that he was speaking into our day. Because in the 1800s, women couldn't vote. Women couldn't own land. Women couldn't even get together with each other in a large scale like this. I believe he looked into the future and he saw you and I in this moment. So I need you to stop being afraid of your strength. I need you to stop being afraid of your questions. I need you to fear not and dare to be all you were created to be. Because God's dream for you is the enemy's nightmare. I'm going to speak to you tonight about being dangerous and fully awake. But to talk to you on this subject, I'm going to have to take you back with me almost 19 years. And I would be a very different woman who stood before you then. I would be shy. I would be overwhelmed. My husband and I were youth pastors, and my husband repeatedly would pull me aside and say, babe, I know you're shy. I know you're scared of people, but everybody else just thinks you're stuck up. As though that would make me feel suddenly comfortable in the company of everyone. Oh, I, I'm ready now. In that season, my husband traveled more than he was home. He still does that, but he traveled more than he was home, and I I was pregnant with my fourth son, and every single day was a journey of survival. I got my kids up in the morning, and I began to think, how soon can I put them back down for a nap? <laughs> then I got them up from the nap, and I was like, how long until it's wrong to put them to bed? And I remember every single night we had this long, drawn-out process where I'd sing to them, I'd read to them. And I remember one night coming down the stairs and one of my sons saying, I think you forgot to pray for me. And I jumped and I said, I am not coming up there again. I prayed for all of you. And I thought, oh my gosh, look at me. My children are asking me to pray for them. And I am yelling at them. What kind of crazy mother am I? 
Well, I was a large pregnant one in that moment. And I needed my children to go to bed because every night between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. in the morning, I was editing my husband's book, The Bait of Satan. And I needed them to sleep so that I could work. So it was a journey of exhaustion. This is what my world looked like. Maybe it looks very similar to many of your world. When God had the audacity to interrupt it with a vivid night vision, I went to sleep and I found myself wide awake in the middle of a night vision. I found myself standing in front of a lioness. She was laying on her side on top of a platform of stone, and on the front of the platform was the word numbers, and then the Roman numerals XX3. I remember the longer I looked at this lioness, even though she never moved, I realized that she was quite possibly more alive than me. I don't know if you've ever seen something that awakens something inside of you. But as I looked at this lioness, I realized that heaven is the prototype and earth is nothing but shadow. And I felt like something in me was expanding. And when I couldn't take any more in, I heard a voice behind me say, with the birth of this son, you will awaken a lioness. I began to shake and I came fully awake, immersed in the presence of God. Now, I need to explain two things to you. Number one, I do not normally wake in the presence of God. I normally wake wondering, where am I? Number two, I do not normally wake fully. I will get up early just to awake slowly. I don't know if you've ever heard of Hillsong, but they have a women's conference. I've had the privilege of doing it a number of times. I'm going to do it again next year. But I had done two weekends of conferences in Sydney. Then we went to Kiev. Then we went to London. And the very last day of the last Saturday of the conference, I tumbled out of bed, headed straight across the street to the Starbucks that I believe Jesus put in London just for me. <laughs> And most days I was the first person in the door, but that particular morning, another woman had beat me in line. And so I got behind her, and when she turned to the side, I realized that she was another speaker's wife. She, I mean, not mother, sorry, Judas Smith's mother. And so I said, Good morning, Jenny. And she turned and looked at me. And then she looked at me. And that was when I remembered that I had put toothpaste all over my face. I had read in a beauty magazine that if you had blemishes, you could put toothpaste on your face and dry them overnight. I had been wearing conference makeup for three weeks. My face was not happy. And I had taken triple fresh aqua fresh, which is white, blue, and red swirled. And I had put it on my face very generously. I could see that she felt uncomfortable. I understood why. So I looked at her and I said, I, I have toothpaste on my face, don't I? And she said, Yes. Yes, you do. Okay, so I, I don't wake fully. But that day, every sense was on a high alert. And I reached outside of my bed, pulled my NIV Bible into bed with me, opened it up to Numbers 23. 
And this is what I found in verse 24. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that does not rest till it devours its prey and drinks the blood of its victims. Can I just be honest with you? I was slightly challenged by uh, these fierce words on like fragile Bible pages. I, I'm almost a vegetarian. When my husband and I watch National Geographic, I'm praying for the zebras. I'm like, run zebra, run! Those lions are awful! But I did give birth to a son, Arden Christopher, he's the one that throws me. Anyway, I did give birth to a son, and with his birth, my world began to open up. I literally wrote my very first book, out of control and loving it, while I was nursing him. He would not detach, so I propped up pillows <laughs> underneath him and typed over the top of him. Do not tell me you do not have time to obey God. We all have, I'm not saying it's pretty, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And you must choose how you redeem it. My world began to open up. It began to enlarge. I started giving invitations to speak and I would just say no. And my husband would say, do you think you should pray about that? I'd be like, no. Because if I pray about it, God might tell me to go. But if I don't pray about it, then I'm in ignorance and I'm okay with, I'm okay with ignorance, John. And John was like, no, that's, that's just not scriptural. But you know what? Your, your gift will make room for you. And in 2007, I found myself down in New Zealand with Darlene Check and Bobby Houston at a conference hosted by Marie DeYoung. And I was in my room and I was kind of like, hey, it's happening. I'm like, the lioness woman. I'm like doing a conference with Darlene. Check. I think I've arrived. You know, God will let you feel that way by yourself for about 15 minutes. And so at that point, he said to me, I said, with the birth of your son, you would awaken a lioness. Not that you are a lioness. That's why I dress like Catwoman tonight. Anyway... So for two years, I studied the lioness because Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it is time his bride awaken a lioness. Let me tell you something. Just as there is no creature that makes a man prouder to be male than the lion, there is no creature that makes me prouder to be a female than the lioness. They hunt together. They are strategic. They greet and groom one another. They don't think you looking bad makes me look good. They understand that if you look bad, it's actually a reflection on me. They know their strength is for service and not for status. Lionesses actually conceive and give birth at the same time because cubs of the same age have an equal chance to survive. But they don't stop with just survival. They actually nurse and train each other's young. They live in the light and they hunt in the dark. And each lioness finds out in the company 
of others what her strength is, what her contribution to the pride is. And then she hones that strength to magnificent perfection. It is something called prowess. Now, this is how random I am. After I'd already written the book, Linus Arising, after it was out in five languages, I was driving in my car and I prayed. I said, God, I've been really busy and I forgot to ask you. Um, I know that I'm supposed to preach about the Linus, but I wrote a book about it. I hope that you're okay with that. It's, it's out already. So if you could just do like an after the fact confirmation for me, that would be like really great. Well, that night, I was in the throes of a school project with my youngest son. Many states do not understand what this looks like, but I know Minnesota understands what this would look like in Colorado. Eight o'clock at night, my youngest son said, Mom, I have a project due tomorrow. <laughs> I just remembered that. You tear apart your three older boys' school projects. They're not gonna ever use them. You bring the poster board to your son. He says, nope, it's not right. You brave a blizzard. You go to buy that poster board. Before you leave, you pay your other children money to cut magazine pictures out for the son who has waited to the last minute. It's all spread on the table when your husband does something annoying. Now, I'm just gonna tell you this right now. I need to change it. I actually now call it cute. If your husband has a habit and it's been more than a decade and it hasn't stopped, you need to rename it. My husband has a cute habit that I used to think was annoying of calling me and putting me on the phone with complete strangers. He does this to me all the time. He'd be like, hey, babe, I have someone here you want to talk to. I don't know if he's like uncomfortable and he's like, I'm going to dial my wife and just hand off my phone to this person. I don't know what's happening. But anyways, I'm like, John, I'm in the middle of a school project with your son. I am not talking to a random stranger right now. I'm sorry. I can't do that. He goes, no, no, no. He's not. You don't have to talk to him right now. I gave him your cell phone. He'll call you later. I'm like, what? Why would you give this stranger my cell phone? He's like, believe me, you want to talk to him. You want to talk to him. And he just hangs up. So when he calls, I sounded really tired. I was like, hello? But he's like, is this Lisa Beaver? I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, your husband held up your book tonight, Lioness Arising, and he said that lions are the best killers, but lionesses are the best hunters. And I said, of course he did. That's all he knows. He hasn't read the book. And he said, well... <laughs> I'm calling you to tell you why your book is important. He said, do you know we are not winning the war in Afghanistan? And I was like, yes, I, I do know that. He said, do you want to know one of the reasons why we're not winning the war? And I thought, yes, in the middle of my son's school project, I must know why the United States of America is not winning this war. He said, well, Part of the reason is their culture forbids us to talk to their women. He said, let me tell you what I do here at Fort Bragg. He said, I'm in charge of assembling special operative teams. He said, up until this point, we have focused predominantly on the men. He said, but now we are training special op teams of women who are going to go into Afghanistan and tell their women they have voice and value. Tell them why democracy will serve their sons and daughters well. Take care of their minor medical needs and help deliver their babies. He said, do you know what the name of this group is? I said, I have absolutely no idea. He said, they're called Team Lioness. 
they're about ready to be deployed. May I have a copy of your book for all of them? So I got to outfit Team Lioness out of Fort Bragg, then Team Lioness out of Camp Lejeune. Now, why am I telling you this? Because if the U.S. military understands that without the involvement of women, you will fight, but you will never win, that it is time that the women and the church of Jesus Christ come alongside the men so we no longer just fight, but we begin to win. I said to you at the very beginning that God's dream for you was the enemy's nightmare. I actually have a picture of that dream. See, the enemy wants to distort that image of male and female, strength to strength, face to face. See, lions actually do not dominate the lionesses. They actually fight the other lions for the right to enjoy the provision and legacy that the lioness gives them. And lions are not trying to act like lionesses. And lionesses are not trying to act like lions. They understand and respect one another's strength. So for the rest of the time I have with you, I'm going to unpack some lioness truths for you. I watched every documentary possible, Blue Earth, Planet Earth, read children's books to learn about lions. And um, one of my favorite documentaries took place in South Africa. There was a problem because the lions were coexisting with cattle and sheep, and they kept killing the ranchers' sheep, and so they decided to create a reserve for them. And what they had to do to get them off the land was they tranquilized a generation, took them off the land, built the reserve, and then reintroduced them into the wild. And because that took a long time, a generation was born in captivity. And when it came time to reintroduce them, they added an enclosure to the fence, rolled back the fence, and expected this one young lion and his two lionesses just to go running into this open expanse. But they didn't. They cowered back, afraid. So the warden said, well, you know what? We're going to stop feeding them. Because if they get hungry enough, they'll go hunting. But they didn't. So then the wardens killed a buck and put it downwind of the lions. And I watched as the alpha lioness began to pace back and forth, back and forth on what had been her former line of limitation. When all of a sudden, her hunger exceeded her hesitation. And she jumped over the line. Look back at her sister. She jumped over the line. The two sisters looked back at the lion. And he was like, I feel like you girls have this covered. <laughs> they go out there. They see the buck. They circle around it. They smell it. Then they do the most curious thing. They don't eat it. They grab a hold of it and they drag it all the way back to the hesitant lion. What were they doing? They were honoring the lion he one day would be instead of accusing the one he was in that moment. And I think we women can take a lesson from our lioness sisters, and that is that no act of honor is ever 
lost in translation. And we can either criticize what is not, or we can speak to what will be. And as women, we have an opportunity to declare and speak to the prince and the men of what will be, what shall be, and what God has always ordained to be. Or we can speak criticism and destruct what we are really hoping to build. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13, and the message says, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you are living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection, open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. See, God did not save you to tame you, nor does he reveal himself as limitless in the stars and the skies and the ocean and the mountains in an attempt to limit you. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that nature is made to conspire with spirit to emancipate us. When you saw all this happening, when you saw the stars, when you saw the fire, when you saw the dancing, something inside of you says there is something more to life than I am now experiencing. The story of these three lions goes on. There was a problem. They had the best land, and the male lion had a collar, a tracking collar on him, so the other lions kept attacking him to take him out so they could have his lionesses and his lands, but he's kind of a favorite of the wardens. And so they're like, we're going to help a brother out. So they put on some tranquilizer, dark guns, get in a vehicle, drive out there, shoot him. And he just looks at him. He's got like a dart in his hip and he just keeps walking. And they're like, this is like super lion. So they shoot him again. He goes down, incapacitated, but not unconscious. They all drive up. I swear you could smell the testosterone through the television. Any mothers of boys, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, they're all getting ready to jump off the vehicle when who should appear but the lioness. And she begins to pace back and forth in front of the fallen lion. And I heard the narrator say, to get to him, we will have to tranquilize her. And I thought that is what the enemy has been doing since the beginning of time. To get to the men, he tranquilizes the women. Some of you are saying, Lisa, I wish I would be shot with a tranquilizer dart. I am in that time period you talked about. I just would love to take a nap. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about putting you to sleep. I'm talking about you being tranquilized, where you are so absorbed with your everyday, ordinary life that you have lost track with what heaven is doing. They shoot her. She goes down with one dart. They jump off the vehicle, pull out his two darts, cut off his collar, come over to her, notice that she's pregnant, and decide to examine her teeth. I don't even understand that. She was... <laughs> Her eyes were open anyway, so they're like trying to do like a mouth exam on her. And the lion is in the background, and he begins to growl. 
He begins to fight to try to find his feet. And they're like, you know what? I think we need to leave. So they all get back on the vehicle, put it in reverse, get on that road, drive away as fast as they can. And as they're speeding away, I hear the narrator say, I'm so glad we got out of there. Because there is nothing more dangerous than being in the presence of lions when they are fully awake. And when I heard the pairing of dangerous and fully awake, I thought, is the church dangerous and fully awake? Are we tranquilized and talking in our sleep, aware of what's going on, but we just can't find our feet? You know, this is not the first time that God has invited us to look at creation and learn. Proverbs 6, 6, and this is God talking, not me, says, you lazy fool, look at an ant, watch it closely, let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? Could it be God is saying, look at the lioness, timid, frightened daughters. She knows who she is. She knows who she is. She knows her creator and hones her skill to honor his name. I really believe that the lioness I saw was not a statue. She was a revelation of how God wants his daughters to look in these days. Women who are at ease with their strength and at rest with their power. Women who do not strive with the men nor with one another. God is giving platform to these people. While I was studying the lioness, I got to do something amazing. I got to go on a safari. And for three days, we followed this one mother lioness and her three cubs. And on the very last day, she came up on my side of the vehicle. You know, those vehicles with no doors, no roof, no windows. And I felt like it was her way of saying, goodbye, Lisa. See, I'm so random that if I study something long enough, I think because I know about it, that it possibly knows me. And so when she came up on my side of the vehicle, she was close enough to touch. So I very slowly lowered my hand out of the vehicle. I waited till her head went by, and I was just getting ready to stroke her back when I heard my husband say, absolutely not. <laughs> Pulled my hand back into the vehicle. And ever since, I've been imagining the conversation the lioness and I would have had. Yes, I would have petted her, and she would have flipped around, but then she would have saw it was me. And she would have said, Lisa! And I would have said, lioness! And then I'd be so excited that I was talking to a lioness face to face that I would blurt out, you are stunning. And she would sit down and say, I know. She'd say, do you want to see what I can do? I'd be like, show me. She'd release her claws. And she'd say, with these claws, I can take down an impala and feed the entire pride. Then she would retract those claws. And she'd show me paws of velvet. And she'd say, with this paw, I tenderly nurture and raise up the young male and female to be mighty. 
In the African culture, if a man is a mighty warrior or a hunter, he is called the son of the lioness. Then she'd say, do you want to see what else I can do? And before I could answer, John would interrupt and say, show me. She would bare her teeth. And she'd say, with these teeth, I hunt, I kill, and I defend. But with these same teeth, I move the young from one place to another without ever harming them. Then she'd stretch out to take a 20-hour nap. But before she closed her eyes, she would say to me, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you and I have no problem seeing a lioness as the sum of fear and wonder. But that is not who that scripture is talking about. See, the lioness's attractiveness is undeniable because her power is unquestionable. I am ready for this to be said of the church. Your genesis was woven in your mother's womb with fearsome wonder. You know, you actually have to teach children to not think about themselves this way. My grandchildren clap for themselves. They're like, did you see that? I was amazing. <laughs> My boys come home from the gym and I don't know what it is, but as soon as they come in, it feels like their shirts have to come off. I'll be brushing my teeth and I'll smell the testosterone and I'll look up and there'll be boys standing behind me flexing in the mirror. They're like, mom, look at our muscles, count our packs. I'm like, oh my gosh. Sometimes I have to wonder if perhaps David was flexing when he wrote Psalm 139, 14 in the Vestage version. It says, I thank you, hi God, you're breathtaking, body and soul. I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. <laughs> See, we are actually supposed to look at ourselves in the mirror of our time and in the mirror of the God's word and wonder that God would entrust us with this time and this season. Alexander the Great said, I am not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I am afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. We follow like sheep, but we do not war like sheep. It is time that the daughters and the sons in the church begin to rise powerful, focused, highly skilled, playful, rested, Deadly, but not to each other, to the plans of the enemy. So I need to ask you a question. Who is at risk if you are tranquilized? Is it your husband? Is it your neighbors? Is it your friends? Is it your children? Is it your classmates? I need you to be dangerous and fully awake. Take this to the grocery store. Anyway, so we have created a curriculum for you to be able to do that. We have a whole outline here. Here it is. We've got the book. We have the workbook because if you think you are a hunter and you're really a protector, you're going to have some people at risk. So we have a test in there so you can find out what kind of lioness you are. We have the CDs and we have the DVDs. 
You find out who you are in the company of others. I think I'm amazing drinking chocolate-favored coffee in the morning with whipped cream on it. I'm like, I'm so godly, I'm so kind. Until I come into the company of others, then I find out maybe I'm a little bit grumpy. So anyway, we, we need to find out both our weaknesses and our strengths in the company of others. Then for the mothers who only read on the toilet. I remember, I remember. I read this book out loud. We have it on CD. You can do it when you pick up your kids in the van. We need you to understand you do have purpose and you need to position your children to change the world. So now I want to do something collectively together. I want you to stand to your feet. Stand up. I want to pray over you. I want you to lift up your hands and at the very outset of this meeting, we're going to make a declaration. I want you to say, Heavenly Father, I'm your daughter. And I will say what you say about me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am not afraid of the dark. You put me here to light it. I am ready to be dangerous to the enemy, responsive to others, and fully awake to what you are doing. Keep your hands up. I'm going to pray over you. May you be the captivating that never forget there are yet captives. May you be the loved and lovely who never fail to forget that he loves them. May you be the daughters who are generous and go beyond what is necessary. May you go that second mile because so many people wait at the end of that journey. May you turn the other cheek and see what was behind that slap. May you be a daughter who walks in courageous love, a daughter of triumph because perilous times give birth to courageous people in Jesus' name. Say amen. amen. Turn to your sister, grab her by the shoulder. Not too violently. I know this inspires violence. Look her in the eyes and say to her, you are stunning. There's only one answer to that, and that is, I know. Okay, now look at me. We're not done. We're not done. I've got, I've got three more minutes. You've got to stay with me here. Look at me. What does it mean to be stunning? What does it mean to be stunning? What do you think? In the boots. Yes, you. I know, it's stressful. What do you think? What does it mean to be stunning? To be powerful. Okay, good, good answer. What about you in the aqua? We think. Blonde person in the aqua. Yes, you. Yes. Yes. Strong. Okay. Uh, all right. Does anybody watch Star Trek? Am I the only one that's a Trekkie here? Okay. All right. So when you set the phasers to, what happens? Stop something in its tracks. May you become all that God created you to be. When you become what God created you to be, you will arrest the enemy's movements and you will stop it in its tracks. Now, some of you are here tonight and you say, 
I've never been to a place where Catwoman preaches scripture <laughs> and people dance like there's rappers singing, but there's something going on and I know that my life was made for something bigger. You know what? You are not created for this earth. You are a daughter that was created for heaven. And maybe nobody ever told you how to find your way into your place with God. But tonight, you can be translated out of a kingdom of darkness and discouragement and defeat and despair into a kingdom of light and love and faith and hope. It's called being born again. You're born again out of death and the dominion of Adam into the life and the dominion of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never prayed a prayer. Maybe you're not sure. Like me, I'd never prayed until I was 21 years of age. But as a daughter of an alcoholic who had become an alcoholic, I was like, you know what? I have made such a mess out of my life. What do I have to lose by surrendering it? If Jesus wants me, I'm, I'm ready to give him everything that I have to offer, which was absolutely nothing. If you're here tonight and you want to pray that prayer, I want you to lift your hands right now. Just lift up your hands. You are surrounded by women who have been watching over you, praying for you. Maybe a friend brought you. Okay, I see your hands. If you're here and you want to pray that prayer, we're not going to make you pray it by yourself. We're not going to embarrass you. We're going to all pray together. Everybody put their hands up that wants to put their hands up. Okay, awesome. Okay, well, I'll just pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I'm tired of being a child of defeat. I am ready to confess I've sinned. I need a Savior. Jesus, I choose this day to make you the Lord of my life. I'm not going to be the boss of my life. I don't know how to do it anymore. I surrender my life and I lay hold of your life. Make me a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be born again, out of a kingdom of darkness, into a kingdom of light. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome to the family.